Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Howdy folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. I'm actually up in northern Idaho in the town of Coeur d'Alene. Beautiful up here. I'm visiting my daughter and three of my grandkids. So today I'm going to talk about a guy by the name of Sir St. George Gore. Okay, now from 1854 to 1857, Sir St. George Gore hunted lands in what are now the states of Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and the Dakotas. Now this foreign guy, which I'm not too fond of, shot game in a style and to an extreme that have never been duplicated here before. Now, when George reached 31 years of age in 1842, his father died, and the family title uh, gave him uh, the title of Baronet of Manor Gore. And while still a young man, he actually gained a reputation as a skilled horseman, hunter, and fisherman. Sir St. George Gore uh, proved to be a pretty good sportsman, a scholar, and a gentleman, as well as an excellent judge of Irish whiskey. Now... His income was over $200,000 annually. Now, back in those days, what would that be? Maybe $2 million at least a year. So he didn't hurt for money. Well, in 1853, Sir St. George determined to organize his own expedition to the Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains. So he was going to come over from England and uh, uh, do a little hunting and fishing. Well, he arranged uh, with the American fur, uh, his American tour through London office, through the London office of the American Fur Company. So Gore explained that he intended to spend two years hunting, fishing, and exploring. The American Fur Company agreed to perform several services for him. It would provide the latest maps and hire experienced frontiersmen. Well, the party reached St. Louis on March 12, 1854. Gore interviewed and hired 40 men with wilderness experience to make the first leg of the journey to Fort Laramie. Well, Gore planned to dismiss the men at Fort Laramie in the fall, uh, and uh, he had already actually hired the legendary 50-year-old mountain man and explorer Jim Bridger. Now, Gore offered him the top wage of $5 a day to serve as his personal guide for the entire expedition. And the two men actually did become pretty good friends. And five bucks a day, folks, that, back then, that was, that was pretty darn good. So in mid-June 1854, Gore's party had assembled in Kansas City, Missouri, in the company of Jim Bridger and 40 experienced frontiersmen. How does it get any better than that? You know, the great hunting excursion to the American West was about to begin. Well, the car- caravan that pulled out, heading up the Oregon Trail, uh, resembled something that had never been seen before. Now, get this, folks. It included more than 110 horses, 20 yoke of oxen, 50 hunting hounds, and 28 vehicles or wagons. The line began with three mounted guides, and they were responsible for picking the camp inside and grazing and for shooting some game for the camp uh, meat. Next came Sir St. George Gore's personal two-horse carriage, painted bright yellow and transported from England. Now, this canvas-covered wagon rode high off the ground, and Gore rode very comfortably in a nice, wide leather seat. Jim Brigger perched on the driver's seat, and by turning cranks at the carriage's four corners, 
the vehicle could be converted into an enclosed sleeping quarter with seats that folded into a bed. So I'm thinking, okay, that may be kind of like our today's tent trailer, maybe. Now get this, folks. Following the carriage wound a line of 21 modified Red River carts. These two-wheeled single-horse carts had been painted red and sported a canvas cover. Sixteen of the carts carried the personal baggage of Sir St. George and his servants. The other five carts packed the personal gear of the 40 hired men as well as crates of Indian trade goods. Now, behind the Red River carts rolled four slower-moving Conestoga wagons, each drawn by three pairs of draft horses. The first two vehicles served as mess wagons, carrying tons of food and cooked, uh, cooking equipment. Now, the third wagon contained the blacksmith uh, equipment and uh, carpentry tools, whatever they needed to fix along the way. Now, the final two vehicles in the caravan were high-sided freight wagons, and they were hitched in tandem, in other words, one right behind the other, and pulled by eight yoke of oxen. Uh, each of these wagons hauled 10 tons of bulk goods in crates, barrels, and trunks. Now, following the 28 vehicles, plotted the expedition's 75 head of stock, which included extra horses, oxen, and several cows. You see, uh, Gore uh, enjoyed fresh milk with his meals, so he had to have a, a cow. Well, the herdsmen brought up the rear, but the pack of blooded hunting hounds, they just kind of ran all over the place. So he had 18 of the dogs were purebred English foxhounds, and they were trained for tracking. The remaining 32 animals were greyhounds, and they were hired for the chase. So in a region where the quality of a man's firearms could spell a difference between life and death, Gore had a collection of 75 Custom-made pistols, rifles, and shotguns. Very, very well-built, nice guns. Uh, he had designated one entire Red River cart to haul these variously gauged, heavily decorated percussion cap muzzle loaders, handmade by the most skilled English gunsmiths. Now, Gore also brought an incredible amount of ammunition, uh, remarkable even for a, a gung-ho sportsman. The Englishman's mountain man employees simply shook their heads of this quantity of firepower. I mean, they'd never seen anything like this for a single pleasure hunt. Well, Sir St. George's fishing equipment proved off, uh, as well uh, pretty extensive. And his valet, you know, you can't go anywhere without a valet, doubled as his fly tire. One Red River cart carried nothing but fishing gear, which included materials for whatever insect uh, he wished to copy. And since Gore was an excellent fly fisherman, the camp never wanted for trout. Sport fishing had arrived in the West in a pretty fancy way. Well, if the quality and abundance of the caravan and its contents amazed Gore's employees, you can imagine these other uh, wagon trains along the Oregon Trail. I mean, these people were headed for Oregon and Washington and California, and for them to look at this uh, uh, cavalcade or train of all this for one guy. They must have been just really amazed. Well, so when uh, they made camp for the evening, the camp tenders leveled a nice spot. They carefully spread a large India rubber pad and covered it with a fine French carpet. Over this base, the men erected a 16 by 20 foot green and white striped canvas wall tent. 
This they furnished with several heating stoves, an oval bathtub with the Gore family crest, an ornamental brass, brass bedstead, an oak dining table, dinnerware of the very finest English pewter, heavy trunks containing uh, his extensive wardrobe, a large collection of leather-bound classic books, and get this, folks, a fur-seated commode with a removable pot. I mean, you can't go anywhere without one of those, right? Well, following several rounds of French wine, Sir St. George Gore enjoyed a multi-course banquet of fresh game and preserved foods prepared by, of course, his own cook and served by three waiters. Now, you can't have just one or two. You've got to have three waiters, right? Then following, uh, that followed some brandy sipping, some reading and conversation with Jim Bridger, and he seldom went to bed before midnight or got up before 10 o'clock in the morning, and then, of course, he had to have his bath before heading out on the trail. Now, a lot of times, Gore left the carriage mounted on his beautiful gray thoroughbred, uh, and he'd gallop across the plains along the trail. He'd shoot grouse, antelope, deer, and occasional buffalo. Now, Gore had come west for the chase and the kill, not for the meat. And this is one place where uh, it kind of causes a problem. But uh, this magnificent procession reached Fort Laramie in July of 1854 and immediately established kind of a semi-permanent camp. Well, at the fort, Gore paid off all but a few of the guys, and Bridger led uh, these guys back down the Oregon Trail to Missouri. So the next year, here it is, May of 1855, the Gore party reunited at Fort Laramie for the next leg of this sporting adventure, a trek into Montana's Yellowstone Valley. Now again, the procession of carriages, carts, wagons, livestock, hounds took to the prairie, and they were being guided by Jim Bridger. I mean, you don't get any better than Jim, right? Uh, the caravan moved north through present-day Wyoming until it hit the headwaters of the Powder River. Gore would spend the next 12 months in this area around Wyoming, Montana, wilderness area. He fished and hunted. Uh, he became pretty good at, uh, at chasing and killing buffalo. Uh, he and the hounds would stalk elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, bear, and often killing a lot of animals every single day. Well, he maintained his daily bath. You know, you don't want to get smelly. Uh, his catered meals, his evenings of uh, sipping brandy, writing in his journal, reading from the classic books. Now, Jim Bridger was the only employee ever invited to the green and white tent to share a, quote, Victorian meal, which I'm sure Jim Bridger probably had to laugh at this. Anyway, Gore would read aloud portions of works by Shakespeare, Dickens, and Burns, and Bridger would in turn tell stories of his adventures in the American West. Well, in late June, uh, they moved up the Yellowstone Valley uh, at the current site of Miles City. And during the summer, Gore's men constructed a fort, and they actually called it Fort Gore. Well, it had log barracks for the men, stables for some of the stock, and a cozy private quarters for the baron, Mr. Gore. Meanwhile, Gore, Bridger, the pack of dogs, and a small band of mountain men enjoyed hunting excursions into the pretty game-rich Yellowstone Valley. And I, can you imagine back then, there were lots and lots of uh, animals to hunt. And the presence of Bridger led to friendly relations with the local Crow bands of Indians. 
Now, the group of four dozen men spent the winter of 1855-56 in pretty good comfort there at uh, this quiet little uh, Fort Gore, they called it. And during the winter, one of Gore's men, uh, a Spaniard known as Uno, died of natural causes. Gore insisted that Uno receive a proper Christian burial. So they built a coffin. They dug a grave six feet deep. Now, keep in mind, folks, this is in the wintertime, and they're digging a hole in frozen ground. Anyway, that same winter, a pigeon raiding party uh, stampeded a portion of the expedition's horse herd. So after that, Gore made sure he doubled the guard on the herd. So now it is uh, May of 1856. Gore led a pack train to a large crow camp at the head of the Rosebud River to exchange trade goods for two dozen horses. So they replenished their herd. So 1856 again, Gore's hunting excursions increased through the Yellowstone Valley. He seemed possessed by the excitement of the chase, and he shot animals of all kinds, seldom touching the carcass unless it had a really nice trophy head. Well, it's estimated of Gore's harvest during his stay at Fort Gore, July of 1855 through May of uh, 56, included 105 bears, more than 2,000 buffalo, and 1,600 elk and deer. So you can imagine the Crow Indians were, they protested. They said, this is, you're, you're wasting, you know, tons of uh, good food in the food supply. Well, the news of this Englishman's sportsmanlike behavior, or I would say unsportsmanlike, soon reached the American Fur Company, and the English aristocrats' actions were not very uh, fond of. Well, Gore ordered his carpenters to, uh, to construct two flatboats. Now, these craft would carry his robe, uh, buffalo robes, his pelts, antlers, trophy heads downriver to Fort Union. Now, Gore intended to sell his goods and equipment to the American Fur Company and then float the Missouri River down to St. Louis and then just head back to England. Well, his men uh, just set fire to Fort Gore and left the Tongue River site. Now, again, why would you do that? I mean, you had this fort that somebody else might could use, but for whatever reason, he had them uh, just burn it down. But he did not fare as well at Fort Union. You see, the American Fur Company's kingpin, the main guy for its uh, fur trade, was a guy named James Kipp, 70 years old. Kipp had lived in the West uh, for 50 years and had become an experienced trader and a devoted company man. So in the middle of 1856, Sir St. George uh, assembled all of his goods and equipment, uh, the vehicles, livestock in front of the gates of the fort, to negotiate uh, with Kip on buying all of his stuff. Well, one of the guys that was there said, quote, there was a misunderstanding as to the terms of the bargain. Well, anyway, regardless of the cause, this uh, Kip, uh, maybe he was practicing some frontier optimism, uh, the name of the company, or he wished to punish this, quote, aristocrat for his wanton slaughter of wildlife in the name of sport. Or if Gore just basically overestimated the value of his property. Anyway, the result proved to be a little bit uh, dramatic. So Gore was mad. He ordered the livestock driven several hundred yards from the fort. He then commanded his men to draw the Conestoga wagons, the Red River carts, and the freight wagons around uh, his really nice carriage right in front of the gates of the fort. He then personally doused the carriage with lamp oil and torched it off. So... The vehicles caught fire, 
And this guy must have been a little crazy. He began throwing his surplus supplies into the fire, and he directed his men to do the same thing. So he sacrificed everything to his anger, the nice green and white striped tent, the brass bedstead, the trunks of clothing, even his leather-bound books, the French carpet, this magnificent oak table and chairs, and, folks, even the fur-lined commode, the compasses, the chronometers, the maps, kegs of gunpowder, fishing gear, the firearms, and even the oval bathtub. Well, as the fire died, this uh, English aristocrat regained control of his temper, uh, if not his good sense, and realizing he's deep in the wilderness, hundreds of river miles from civilization, he had destroyed precious goods and equipment that could have gone to some good and maybe even saved men's lives. Well, at this point, uh, everything's gone. Uh, He came up with a plan. So Gore, Bridger, and 16 men, along with their 65 horses and 50 hunting dogs, decided they would explore an area marked on the map as, quote, uncharted, the Black Hills. Well, Bridger and Gore led the horse party up the Little Missouri River toward the Black Hills. Now, for good reason, the area remained uncharted on contemporary maps because there were hostile Teton Sioux that controlled the country and the parties that uh, anybody that headed into that direction, they usually did not return. Now, Get this, no luxuries for the aristocrat on this trip. He slept in a buffalo robe on the ground. He ate with everybody else, and he filled a turn on night guard duty. Well, suddenly uh, a war party of about 180 Indians led by uh, Chief Bear's Rib surrounded them. Uh, It had been the Sioux leader's practice to just kill whites who straggled into this uh, sacred Black Hills. But this time, I guess he had a uh, soft heart. Anyway, he offered an ultimatum. He said Gore and his men could stand and fight. Now keep this in mind, they were outnumbered 10 to 1. Or they could abandon their horses, weapons, equipment, and clothes and walk out the way they had come in. So, the 18 naked men and their hounds would spend almost five weeks retracing the 300 miles back to the mouth of the Little Missouri River. They usually traveled at night because they didn't want to get caught. They lived on wild roots, berries, and whatever rabbits the hounds could catch. So, the company met a band of friendly Hidatsa Indians who fed them, led them downriver to their camp near Fort Berthold. So, anyway, there was a guy by the name of, uh, a mountain man uh, trapper named Joseph Picatis, and he had a fur operation, and he had a boat that would go down the Missouri River, and Gore arranged for Bridger and 11 other members of his group to return to Missouri on this boat. But Sir St. George Gore, his two servants, and three other members of the original group decided that they would spend the winter in an earthen lodge at a place called Lyca Fishhook Village near Fort Berthold. Well, the aristocrats passed this snowy winter in the style of the Hidatsa Indians. In July of 1857, a buckskin-clad gore and his two servants boarded the steamboat Twilight at Fort Berthold and descended the Missouri River. One year late, the aristocrat reached home in time to join the annual fall stag hunt in the Scottish Highlands. So Gore would return to America only once again, making a trip to the Florida Everglades in 1876. 
So to Gore, as I mentioned earlier, expense was no issue. He spent more than $250,000 on this three-year trip, which was just a little more than what he got each year anyway. So that wasn't an issue. Now, here's what is the sad part of this whole story that the Indians uh, complained about. His party shot an estimated 4,000 buffalo, 1,500 elk, 2,000 deer, 1,500 antelope, 500 bear, and who knows how many other assorted game animals. So, you know, this is a kind of a weird story about a guy that uh, obviously was not a true uh, hunter, fisherman, sportsman. And uh, like I say, the Indians were not very fond of him. The American Fur Company uh, didn't like what he did. But that is the story of Sir St. George Gore. So I hope you enjoy that, folks, and I'll see you next week.